Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison calls for more parental controls on Snapchat and TikTok, and the women's NCAA Final Four comes to Minnesota. But first, Russia's war against Ukraine continues, and as the holiest Christian holiday approaches, debate continues in Minnesota and elsewhere about what President Biden said in Poland not long after visiting troops and refugees near the Ukrainian border, MNN's Bill Werner talked with foreign policy expert Hamlin University professor David Schultz. As a point of departure, let's start at the end of the president's speech in Warsaw, Poland. Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia, for free people refused to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. We will have a different future, a brighter future, rooted in democracy and principle, hope and light, of decency and dignity, of freedom and possibilities. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. All right, on that note, Professor Schultz is a longtime observer and analyst of foreign policy. How do you gauge that statement? There's a couple ways of approaching that statement. One of them, it was purely a gaffe. Um, in terms of something he shouldn't have said. On the other hand, sometimes gaffes are not really gaffes. And yes. what I mean by that is that oftentimes um, presidents or their staff will float ideas or float certain things by releasing information to see what the reaction is. And I think this statement has a little bit of both of that. What's been interesting so far about looking at Biden's interactions with Russia and Putin. He's repeatedly has said what the United States won't do. It said it won't send troops. It won't send um, um, aircraft directly. It won't intervene into Ukraine. And to a large extent that some people are arguing that's enabled Putin um, to be able to go as far as he has. Um, By now um, making this statement about saying, well, Putin, you know, needs, you know, to be um, removed from office. Um, this this potentially escalates, but it also potentially um, puts Putin on on warning about is the United States considering doing something else? Do you think that if it were intentional or even unintentional that he was referring to regime change uh, facilitated in some way by the United States of America? Regime change in Russia, in other words, ousting Vladimir Putin. I don't think he was looking at the United States directly doing it. But one has to wonder at this point, um, with all the sanctions that are being put on um, on Russia from across the world, uh, part of it is to try to convince them to remove the troops and stop the aggression in in Ukraine. But I also suspect that the purpose of this is to pressure the people and the oligarchs in Russia to take appropriate action. Okay, and, and I would have to think that that appropriate action might be what? Trying to force Putin out of office. And you anticipated my next question, because in one of the most dramatic portions of that speech, the president spoke what he said he hoped was the Russian people would be able to hear, right? We don't know right. how much actually got through to them. But I think he essentially said that he does not believe that the Russian people in themselves are evil, that they have a, an, an evil leader. Now, I'm 
not, he didn't use those exact words, but I think I'm probably paraphrasing fairly accurately. Um, and therefore, then he, he went on to another subject, but then he came back to this, <laughs> um, what is being billed as, as a, an, an extemporaneous off-the-cuff remark, or some people are calling it a gaffe, right? Could this have been um, Joe Biden saying, in the broader sense, the <laughs> cosmic sense, or the moral sense, um, that uh, Vladimir Putin cannot continue as ruler of Russia. Is that a possible meaning of what he meant? It's a stretch, but possible. The fact that Biden is trying to suggest at the end of the day that the people are not the enemy of the United States, that he's trying to build a rapport, a reproach with the people um, um, of the country and and really trying to isolate, separate Putin from um, from the people, um, you, you, you could you could stretch it to say that perhaps um, his argument is that maybe Putin doesn't have the the moral legitimacy or the authority um, to uh, to be ruling in Russia, or that somehow he's really not a representative of the people. Or I, 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 or I, I, if I or if I may, the yeah. president is a religious man. Maybe he is saying in some ways we we're in Lent, we're approaching Holy Week. Maybe he's saying in some ways, God ultimately cannot allow this to stand. Now that there may be much bloodshed before, but that as with Adolf Hitler as an example, it was not allowed to stand. Is that a possibility? Yeah, it's it's a possibility. I mean, given the fact that you have um, the Pope at this point, who is also called on um, Putin and Russia to stop the aggression. I mean, w- one could one could read this um, as you know, in, in a very broad sense of saying that the the um, the heavens and the gods will not judge you. Um, appropriately, you know, at judgment mm-hmm. day, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, it's not just a violation of international law, what's going on, but somehow um, in the, the more cosmic sense of how does history, how does God, um, you know, view this? Clearly, this is not something um, that, that gets you into heaven. But ultimately, of course, we have to live back here on Earth, and that's what we're, we're talking about in terms of the foreign policy moves that are being made and the elaborate game of chess that's occurring on an international level. I, I want to close, Professor, with um, your observance, since we dealt, delved a bit into the metaphysics and in the religious aspect of it. Um, this is all happening, as I mentioned, uh, in Lent, up to, to the approach of, of the holiest of, of Christian holidays, and certainly a very significant um, holiday for, uh, for the Jewish faith as well. Um, do, do you see any sort of, uh, I don't know, if significance of that, or, or might it play into this? Or I'm stretching pretty far, but I, I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, it's also important to remember that the Russians also are Christian, and they celebrate um, Orthodox Christianity, where, where Jesus and and a lot of the Christian faith, you know, that we that we many people in the United States practice um, also is practiced in Russia. And you, you can't help but think of the fact that that this is a war that that started just about as Lent began, one yes. of the most holy periods in Christendom. Um, and it's progressing at a point now where um, it's coming up close to Passover, up the Holy Week, up to Easter. And, and I just wonder. I just wonder, again, as we look at it, you know, today, there is 
there is evidence that the two parties, Ukraine and Russia, are, are starting to get serious about negotiations. Now, of course, it could be all about the fact that the war is a stalemate, uh, that maybe Russia's not going to be able to win this war. Or they're biding all, for time, or they're uh, pulling for time, uh, Russia exactly, specifically. Exactly, yeah. right. But you can't ignore the fact that what? It, it does not look good uh, in many situations here for there to be this kind of a war occurring um, on Passover, um, on, on Easter Sunday, on Palm Sunday. The 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 imagery of of trying to um, describe one as a as a Christian nation um, at the same time one is engaging um, in this type of a war. Those images are hard to reconcile. That is Hamlin University professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to fda.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison and a bipartisan coalition of 44 attorneys general this week urged TikTok and Snapchat to give parents the ability to monitor their children's social media usage through certain apps. I spoke this week with Ellison about why this is such an important step to take. Well, the reason that I joined with my colleagues to make this effort is because kids need uh parental supervision and help uh, to stay safe uh, based on some of the things that they're exposed to on uh, things like TikTok and Snapchat. I mean, the bottom line is kids are exposed to a whole lot of, of, of good things, but also bad things, really bad things, uh, a whole range of things. And that's why we need parents to have a better grip on what their kids are going to be exposed to. So, you know, the kids are being exposed on 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 these mediums to, to things like cyberbullying, sexual predation, uh, you know, things like body image and self-esteem, dissatisfaction, drugs, alcohol, you know, things like uh, you know, suicidal uh, ideation and and self-harm. Parents are, you know, it's their job to look after their children if they're in a position to uh, have greater control uh, and monitor what their kids are, are exposed to and consuming, kids will be uh, better off. Kids will be safer. Kids will be healthier. And that is exactly what we're going for. In terms of the type of monitoring, are we talking about specific apps that are out there that allow parents to do that, or how does that, how would it work specifically? When we're talking about parental control apps that can alert parents or schools to messages and posts that are on the platforms that 
have potential harmful effects uh, on kids. That's what we're, we have in mind. It would just be, uh, a, you know, a parental control app that we think would uh, be of great benefit to parents, give them peace of mind, empower parents uh, in order to parent, allow parents to really do their job, which is to monitor and protect their kids. Um, my understanding is that the state legislature is is also taking a look at legislation that uh, sort of uh, goes after social media that has algorithms targeting children. Uh, is that something, an effort that is also tied into what we're talking about here, or is that a separate effort uh, geared towards the same type of thing? It's a separate effort geared towards the same type of thing. We're, we're trying to uh, get... Um, you know, TikTok and Snapchat to do this voluntarily. The legislature is, is, is going to regulate them. Um, bottom line is uh, the message for these uh, social media outlets is that do the right thing voluntarily or state legislatures are going to make you do it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that uh, this is an opportunity for some true bipartisan uh, work because um, no, nobody a Republican or Democrat wants to see their kids exposed to ugly messages uh, that might harm them or be dangerous to them. Is there a precedent for for companies uh, like the, the owners of Snapchat and TikTok to do something like this voluntarily, or is it something that uh, would too significantly potentially uh, cut into their profits so that they would not be inclined to volunteer to do this? I just w- I would love to be able to ask TikTok and Snapchat. Do you do your profits depend upon exposing kids to uh, to, to nudity and and sexual uh, materials, to drugs, to, to violent material and cyberbullying? Does your profit depend upon undermining uh, a child's confidence and self-image? Uh, and I bet you they would say no. And if the answer is no, then fine, regulate that and protect kids and give parents more control. It is within their power to do. We think they should do it, and we're confident that they will do it. Because I just want to be clear that if they don't do it, there's a lot of folks in state legislatures and in Congress who are right here ready to uh, regulate them, uh, you know, without their uh, without their permission. That's what Congress gets to do: control and regulate, uh, you know, activity that may potentially be harmful. Uh, but the best way. Uh, for the company to move forward is to just say, parents, you're right. We want to empower you. We're going to do the parent con- parental control app so you can look after your kids and help decide what is the best for them. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minnesota is host to this year's women's NCAA Final Four. MN's Tasha Radel has more. It's estimated that as many as 30,000 people will travel to Minneapolis for the NCAA Women's Final Four Games. In addition to the games, there will be a number of free activities and concerts for the whole family. Joining me today is Kevin Kurt, spokesman for Meet Minneapolis Convention and Visitors Bureau. 
Kevin, it's hard to believe the pinnacle of women's basketball will tip off in Minneapolis Friday night. <laughs> There's a lot going on around Minneapolis. Yeah, um, you know, things are ramping up. For, we've, we're starting to welcome media this early this week, and then starting on Thursday, and then obviously into Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll see a lot of fans coming downtown for not only the games at Target Center, but also uh, a number of free and family-friendly friend- events um throughout downtown um you know from a fan fest called tourney town at the convention center to party outside the target center uh, before the games before practices on saturday a free concert on saturday there's there's a whole lot going on to yeah i mean it's it's a celebration of women's basketball but in some ways it's a celebration of somewhat of a return to to normal operations down here. Let's talk a little bit about the economic impact. I'm assuming bringing in a tournament like this is going to be beneficial to the local economy, especially the businesses. They've all had to really weather the COVID-19 storm over the past couple of years. Yeah, no doubt that an event of this size is going to have a significant impact on on downtown, on hotels, restaurants, hospitality businesses, and, you know, everything in between. Um, I can't give you a number of, you know, a pre-event estimate. I can tell you that in 2018 in Columbus, the Women's Final Four, their their economic impact number they gave was $22 million. So um, it's a significant impact. Um, we just, we know that events like this are, are important for our hospitality and tourism industry. That has been so hardly hit. And not only just the industry itself, but, the, you know, the workers that, that are keep those businesses running. So um, bringing in events like the the women's final four here, and earlier this year we had the NHL Winter Classic. It's it's huge, um, and there's you know there's a lot of excitement for it. And I think people are so anxious to enjoy an event like this that we haven't really been able to do for you know three years. And speaking of the COVID-19 pandemic, I think it's cautiously optimistic to hope the worst of the pandemic is behind us. Are you starting to see things throughout Minneapolis, whether it be hotel bookings up, more concerts being booked, conventions, restaurants starting to get back to a new normal, so to speak? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we are um, back to pre-pandemic levels by by any stretch. I mean, we, um, Minneapolis uh, and the Twin Cities were hit especially hard by the pandemic. Um, uh, a lot of the reason for that is the business travel is a huge thing for for Minneapolis. And so that has been the slowest to come back. And while we're seeing a, um, a rise in the number of events that um, hosted, say, at the Minneapolis Convention Center, um, we are not back to 2019 levels. Um, and we don't think we will for at least another year, two years, perhaps. Um, but that being all that being said, yes, we're we're everything's ramping up. Um, hotels are starting to get more full. Um, uh, this past weekend, we had a a very large um, uh, youth volleyball tournament at the convention. Actually, the past two weekends at the convention center, uh, a lot of volleyball players running around the skyways. Um, and then we we transitioned right from that into the final four week, and so that those sort of events. Are, are huge for um, filling our hotels and you know it's not just the hotels they have to eat somewhere um, you know they look for entertainment outside of their their events so um, you know we're trending in the right direction and it's stuff like the women's final four that um, is going to help be a catalyst for that well we're about out of time today Kevin any final thoughts I, I would say that 
not only are we hosting the Women's Final Four, but we're also hosting a lot of potential clients, a lot of potential other events, whether they're sporting events like the Women's Final Four or um, conventions, business meetings, uh, those sort of things. So we're hosting a lot of a lot of folks from around the country coming in to experience not just the games, but also experience what Minneapolis has to offer um, them for whatever meeting or event they're they're planning on hosting, um, but also what the city has to offer. So uh, we're excited that this is not just it's not just two uh, three basketball games. Uh, there's a whole lot going on, and so we're we're fired up about it. That's a great point, Kevin. What an opportunity to showcase all of what our great state has to offer. Thanks again to my guest, Kevin Kurt, spokesman for Meet Minneapolis Convention and Visitors Bureau. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. Coming up next, we'll get a little bit of a different angle on the NCAA Women's Final Four in Minnesota from MN's Mike Grimm. That, when Minnesota Matters, returns. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and, of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle, simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Minneapolis, as we mentioned in the last segment, is hosting the NCAA Women's Basketball Final Four this weekend at Target Center. Minneapolis Star Tribune columnist Jim Suhan is covering the big event and joins MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm to talk about it. I think it's a big deal. Uh, listen, Minneapolis has had a lot of big events, and I think Minneapolis has done very well with them. Uh, even when it's minus five degrees and you have the Super Bowl here, Minneapolis does a really good job, job putting these things on. I think this is special, and Cheryl Reeves talked about it, Lindsey Whalen's talked about it. The Lynx made this a mecca of women's college basketball. I know people in the WNBA uh, front offices who say that this is a model franchise here. Then you add in the fact that, hey, Whalen and the U have had you know great success. I know Lindsey's still trying to get her program going, but she was one of the great one of the great athletes in Minnesota history as a gopher. You have Paige Beckers, who's the next great thing, who's from Hopkins and grew up idolizing Whalen, and she's playing in this thing. And I also think we're seeing women's sports and women's basketball being recognized for how popular it can be if it's treated as an equal. So I think this is a, a boy, both a great place and time to have this Final Four. Yeah, you mentioned uh, in terms of just the popularity and the growth of women's sports. And here locally, you mentioned the Lynx certainly have had a big deal. Waylon, I think, you know, and all of a sudden she's filling the barn as part of that gopher team back in the mid-2000s and making the Final Four. And Paige Beckers is a great example probably of someone who saw that and said, I can be them. And now it's really, I think, uh, transformed even a little bit further here when you're talking about 
this maybe social media that's not always a great thing, but I think even last year at this event, the push that, hey, there needs to be equal things for this tournament compared to what the men are getting. So I think it's all, uh, you know, it's been a big growth in the last 15 years and maybe even the last three years. And maybe even, as you said, in the last year. Last year, obviously the NCAA is not treating women the way they should be treated. And I think the backlash to that helped bring along some of the progress we're seeing. And there's a lot more progress to be made. uh, But Dawn Staley, Tara Vanderveer have been great talking about this stuff. Um, And I think the coolest thing is you have economists coming out and saying, listen, if you cover it, if you put it on TV, if you treat it like you treat men's sports, you can make a lot of freaking money. And that makes it easy on the decision makers to treat women's sports the way they should be treated. You have been uh, maybe even more in recent times a champion, I would say, in terms of what you write, what you cover, your podcasts that you host. Why why, 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 why do you think that uh, you can help with this and why is it important to you? Well, it's funny because I became, you know, I covered men's sports most of my career. I was mainly an NFL and, and baseball writer, so of course I was dealing with men. Uh, and, you know, I it was, that was the easy route for me to take. And so when I became a feature writer, when I became a columnist, hey, you go, you go to what you know most of the time. I will give Reeve, Whalen, Maya Moore, Simone Augustus, Rebecca Brunson, I will give that group tons of credit because I, you know, I looked at the links as just kind of a failing minor sport. They trade for Whalen. I start showing up. I start getting to know people. I'm like, this is great. These are great athletes. These are great people. And the more I covered them, the more I found them to be just, you know, rich stories to tell. And the more I talked to Cheryl Reeve, the more I, everything she said just made sense. And she would, you know, we would talk and she'd say, and I'd say, yeah, but women's sports just aren't that popular. She'd say, well, what if we covered it like a major sport? What if you invested time on it? What if it was in prime time on TV? What if you did pregame and postgame shows? What if people got to know these people? And of course, as I got to know all the Lynx people, I just... Everything she said made sense. She was right about everything. And I just had to admit, hey, you're right, and I've been wrong. And and now I think when you look at whether it's clicks on on a web page or listens on a podcast – She's probably right, right? I yep. mean, uh, there's there's people that want to hear content that are starving for coverage of some of these things. Exactly. And it's the right thing to do. It's fun. It's it's great to watch. It's great to talk about. It's great to listen to. We're not anywhere near where we need to eventually get, but you are seeing progress. And listen, I still love football, and I love Major League Baseball. I love men's sports, but it doesn't have to be an either-or thing. Yeah, no doubt. All right, well, you're doing Talk North. Uh, you've got all kinds of podcasts, including one called uh, the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, which we should we, we should uh, plug as long as I'm here. But uh, you have the Cheryl Reeve Podcast and some other podcasts. Uh, you mentioned baseball. You do a Vikings podcast, uh, and you're having some fun with that. I really am. You know, I started it mainly so I could just do sports talk the way I like to do it. Uh, you, you know, a lot of the time I was on the radio or you hear other broadcast outlets, it's almost like staged arguments, yelling. I just wanted to do kind of real, calm, hopefully intelligent sports talk. That's why we brought you, Mike, on for the intelligent part. And and I just get to work with a lot of great people, have great conversations with people I respect. And, you know, and, and luckily for us, it seems to be working. And it's uh, talknorth.com. Uh, people can get all the info there on that. Yes, sir. And as we always say on the podcast, the best way is find the shows you like, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It's free, it's easy, and you get to know more about Mike Grimm. Yeah, and nothing wrong with that. <laughs> exactly. And that's Jim Suhan from the Star Tribune with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.